Hello, boys and girls. It is the Regulators Podcast. I am your host, Waldo. Thank you for joining us, as always. So much to get to. A lot of things happened in the past week. We had the combine finish up, franchise tags, suspensions, the works. Plus, you know it's time for more giveaways. So last week, we gave a Funko Pop uh, Nick Chubb figure away, and that was to at Russ 2019. And this week, we have a Tua Funko Pop that we're going to give away. So without further ado, the winner for the Tua Funko Pop is uh, at BigWeb31. So congrats to BigWeb on the Tua Funko Pop. And uh, now that that's out of the way, why don't you act like the gum under a high school desk and stick around for a while. So we got a great show today. Uh, We're going to kick it off by answering the question everyone has asked me this week, and that is, what do I think of the Calvin Ridley situation? So, for anyone who's living under a rock, which I assume you're not, otherwise you wouldn't listen to this podcast, but yes, Calvin Ridley was suspended indefinitely by the National Football League for gambling on football games. Now, there's a lot of points to consider, uh from every angle on this one now we know that gambling is illegal in the nfl on on football games like that's just excuse me that's a big no-no that they don't want any part of and this is something that doesn't just go for players i mean this is anybody involved in the nfl it's you know it may be an outdated dumb thing in certain aspects but i can tell you when i worked for an nfl team that we had meetings that it was discussed that we couldn't even play fantasy football for money. So I even had a person pull me aside at one point who knew that those of us in a specific group did have a little fantasy football league going, and they reminded me that, you know, it's it's only for fun, that, you know, there's no money involved, and it's, it's just for fun. And I was like, yep, absolutely, um, it's just for fun. Um, but the reality is, is we know that there are people and even uh, NFL players who play fantasy football and, you know, gamble on games and things like that. However, if you get caught, you know, this is this is the situation you risk. So allegedly, according to what we know so far, Calvin Ridley, who some people may not remember, um, stepped away from the game for mental health reasons last season. So he was not with the team when this happened. Now, he allegedly made three bets, and he, you know, he just did it the way most of us would do. Go on your phone, go through the app, and just place a couple of bets. So he, uh, he bet three bets totaling $1,500, and it was, I think, a three, a five, and an eight-leg parlay, which, I mean, hey, you know, if, if you're going to do it, go big or go home. Um, and also, too, for... $1,500 to him is like $1.50. Like this is, you know, the, it reminds me of the whole Jordan thing when uh, there was this big investigation on whether Michael Jordan had a gambling problem because he was betting all this money and he was, I mean, 
we, we've seen the 30 for 30 doc and everybody knows who's old enough to remember what that time was like. But when even when the league investigated, they were like, Michael Jordan going and betting, you know, thousands of dollars, like it's nothing to him. Like that's not, you know, so to look at it in the same light that somebody has some kind of serious problem. But that's not what's being alleged here. You know, Calvin Ridley, I don't think anyone with a brain cell would say has a gambling problem. Um, based on this particular evidence for him to bet $1,500 on a couple of parlays. Now, the other issue is that he bet on his own team. Now, he didn't bet on them to lose. He bet on them to win. Now, I can imagine if you, you know, tried to allege that, you know, well, maybe he had some inside information. He knew that somebody was going to be out or not playing. And so therefore, you know, he bet against his team to lose. But that's not the case. He bet for his team to win as part of those multi-leg parlays. Now, the NFL has said a number of things. Number one, they said that there is no proof that any of the players, any of the staff, that anybody inside the organization, because remember, he was away from the team. He was taking a mental health break and working on some things for himself. And so he was not in the team facilities. Um, the NFL says that they have found no evidence that suggests that anybody inside the organization knew or anybody from any of the teams and that there was no inside information used to make these bets or anything like that. Now, would the NFL tell us if they found such information? I don't know, but I do believe that. I think the guy just went on, you listen to our podcast all year. We give out, you know, some of our great parlays and some of the things that we're betting on. I think the guy was bored and he was like, all right, let me bet on these games and it'll give me a reason to watch football or something because I'm not really into it right now. And he makes these bets, but he's betting on his team to win. So it's not like, oh, I I think my guys are going to try harder because... I put $1,500 down and they want me to win. Like there's, there's no way that this was any kind of collusion act, right? So that's, that's number one. Now, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Your contract is what your contract is. You understand that it's taboo. It's a big no-no in the NFL. We can sit here and argue all day about whether it's a stupid rule, whether, you know, there should be some leeway there and things like that um, because it is hypocritical, right? You talk about things like the fact that the reason the NFL found out about this entire thing is because FanDuel literally ran and snitched on Calvin Ridley because he used his phone, he signed up with his own information, and the NFL is a partner officially with FanDuel. And you know they are working with these partners to ensure that if there's any issue like that, they run to the NFL right away and they tattletale on them. So... That's the only reason the NFL even found out is because they have these existing relationships with them. You look at the Caesars Sportsbook and the the Saints play in the Caesars Superdome. You look at the fact that this year the uh, Arizona Cardinals at BetMGM is opening a 17,000 square foot sportsbook at State Farm Stadium this season. It's at the stadium. It's a 17,000 square foot uh, sportsbook. So the NFL is all about betting. I mean, literally, you watch NFL Network, 
and they're talking about Calvin Ridley being suspended, and then they go to commercial, and it's DraftKings or FanDuel, and they're, you know, giving out all this information about stuff. It like it it blows my mind the hypocrisy, and you know it's it's one thing to say okay yeah yeah, but you know our consumers can do it, but you can't do it. You know it's just it's it's fine. Like that's the rule, and I get it. And so I'm not saying that they shouldn't have found out about it and said okay well you know it's just it's a bad look you can't do it you know what the rule is you broke the rule fine i'm with you right but the indefinite suspension is where i start to have a problem with it it's a minimum of one year now calvin ridley can obviously appeal whether he wins that appeal those usually don't go too well um but here's the thing and i think sage rosenfeld said it best on twitter he said player gambles a few bucks on games that he has no influence on indefinite suspension Owners cover up decades worth of sexual misconduct and harassment in the workplace handled internally. And, you know, it's it's those kinds of things. You want to talk about creating a bad image for the NFL or creating trust issues. Nobody, nobody is going to stop watching the NFL or have issues with the brand because they found out that Calvin Ridley, while he was away from the team, bet $1,500 on some multi-leg parlays that included his team to win. Nobody's going to stop watching football over that. But when you talk about the fact that you look at the suspensions or the discipline that's been dealt out over domestic violence issues that has gone rampant through the league, and it's like two games, four games, you know, you see all of these physical violent altercations and the suspension or the discipline for them is almost nothing. They're slaps on the wrist. And then this guy, while being away from the game, bets a few bucks on on, on some football games, and you're going to say he's suspended indefinitely. You're going to try to Pete Rose this guy? Like, come on. Like, that's that's a horrible look. You're creating the bad look yourself. And speaking of creating horrible looks, you know... Tuesday was International Women's Day, and the most hilarious thing to me was to watch these CEOs try to struggle through this, these tweets and these little video conferences just bragging about the one or two women that they've hired and then somehow making the conversation all about them again. And, you know, it's even crazy to me, like, NFL... Total Access tweeted out, you know, a video with Ian Rappaport, and um, it was a video about Deshaun Watson's ongoing legal battle, right? So the tweet is that Deshaun Watson's legal situation should clear up on Friday, and if it does, his market is going to be strong. And when you watch the video, the casualty of this sentence by Ian Rappaport, to me, screams volumes, and this is the exact sentence. Ian says, quote, we should find out on Friday if he is going to officially be charged criminally. And then, of course, there's the situation of where's he going to be traded? End quote. Hashtag International Women's Day. Like the casualty of we haven't even gotten to Friday where the case is being presented to a grand jury. And then at which point, even if that doesn't go any further, then there'll still be the civil suits and everything else. And we're already just saying, well, that's a foregone conclusion. Where's he going to be traded? 
where is he going to play? And I understand that there will be a market for Deshaun Watson, and I understand that this is the way the world works. If you can play a sport or if you can do something, then people will brush things under the rug to a certain extent. Um, But this is kind of where I go back to this whole Calvin Ridley thing, because I don't want to turn this into a Deshaun Watson show, but be consistent on, on, on some level, right? And the, the audacity, to me, like, it's, listen, this is America, you know, innocent until proven guilty, and the court system is going to play it out, like, let it play out, and we'll see what happens. If they charge him, well, then he's got bigger problems on his hands. If they don't charge him, well, now he has to deal with the civil suits, and I'm sure, you know, it'll get handled one way or the other. But the audacity, after 20-something, you know, women have come forward with these complaints. And again, I read through a lot of these complaints. And some of them have merit. Some of them are completely baseless and just ridiculous. But the audacity to just say that, you know, well, on Friday we're going to find out if he's officially going to be charged criminally. And then we can find out where he's going to be traded. So... Like, you're, you're literally saying out loud, no one gives a shit. And you were doing it to a female broadcaster in that conversation on International Women's Day. Like, I don't know who's running the PR marketing stuff over there, who's thinking about these things, but it just, like, those are the things that create your bad looks. No one gives a fuck that Calvin Ridley bet $1,500 on a couple games, including his team, to win, and he wasn't even on the field. He wasn't even in the facility. Nobody gives a shit. So this idea that somehow Roger Goodell is protecting the game by maybe never allowing him to play football again is a fucking joke. And that's my two cents on the Calvin Ridley situation. And the only other thing I will add is the pure fucking irony of if you go to our Twitter page at Regulators Pod, you might have to scroll a little bit. But I retweeted the NFL during the game that Calvin Ridley bet on, right as it came to its conclusion. The NFL official Twitter page at NFL literally tweeted out a video from the Falcons game saying you should make every moment more by betting on the Falcons game with FanDuel. And that was. The game that literally got Calvin Ridley indefinitely suspended. So the hypocrisy is just fucking amazing. Anyways, let's move on to some other things because it was a very big week, obviously. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is staying in Green Bay. And I think Aaron Rodgers played all of us, and I think he's still playing us. Um, Because the way it were to be believed... Last year, when Adam Schefter started breaking this information day of the draft and everything started getting crazy, was that Aaron Rodgers is so fucking done, you know, that's it, he's out, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with the Packers. It was just such a toxic relationship, he wanted out. And then, they got him to agree to come back this year, and they were going to revisit at the end of this year. Now, either... The greatest 180 in franchise history has happened where they took a situation where a guy was completely one foot out the door, done, over it, and they somehow massaged the situation and became completely different people and really valued his input and his leadership and they want to 
make him a part of the process and everything, you know, after after drafting Jordan Love, which we'll get back to, either that's the situation that the front office just completely changed who they were and completely were all on board with whatever Aaron Rodgers wanted to do. Or the situation maybe wasn't as dire as Aaron Rodgers would have liked it to believe where he just wanted to be like the seven-year-old who's like, I'm packing my things and I'm leaving. I'm running away. I'll go live with grandma. Like, or maybe it's somewhere in between those two things. I don't know. But allegedly, it was announced this morning that he's going to come back on a four-year deal, $200 million, making him the highest paid quarterback ever, averaging about $50 million a year. And then Aaron Rodgers came out himself and said, hey, guys, just so you know, I am coming back this year. I'm excited for year 18, but I have not signed any contract. And, you know, there's there's nothing that I've signed thus far. And I thought that was very interesting. Now, if I had to guess, if I had to guess, there's a contract on the table. It's sitting there waiting for Aaron Rodgers' signature. And he's like, all right, that's cool. Get Devontae done, which we know Devontae Adams got franchised. And now we'll see how that plays out you know they have several months where they can try to work out a long-term deal with Devontae Adams so that could be something because he alluded to that earlier which is why I was a little surprised to hear that information about the new contract today because he had alluded to the fact of well I want to see what happens with Devontae and there's some things that you know need to fall in place first and then we'll, we'll go from there so he could be waiting to make sure his boy gets taken care of, so like, all right, if I'm going to be around for some years, like, I want you here for some years, and let's make this done. Um, but, so, who do you believe? You know, do you believe Aaron Rodgers himself, who says, no, there, there's no deal, I haven't signed anything, um, or the reports that are coming out from other people who heard from sources who heard from sources. But, either way, what we do know is Aaron Rodgers will be back in Green Bay, and why not? I mean, right now, the NFC is really wide open. And we talked about this before. You've got Drew Brees retired, Tom Brady retired, and now all of a sudden Russell Wilson is long gone, which we'll come back to. But who's who's your threats in the NFC? You have Matt Stafford, Dak Prescott. like, And we know what the Cowboys are capable of, but they can never you know, seem to do shit about it. So who is your real threat? If you're the Packers in the NFC, who's who's your real threat? The Vikings and Kirk Cousins? I mean, the 49ers? Who's who's your threat in the NFC? It's It's the Rams and that's it. So, you know, not to say that the Cardinals couldn't get sneaky if they figure out how to win in the last half of the season, but as a real legitimate threat... Whereas now you look at the AFC, pff, fuck, forget about it. So why wouldn't you come back? Why why wouldn't you stay if you were Aaron Rodgers? And now we have to talk about, what about Jordan Love? Which got us into this mess in the first place. And it was funny because I remember sitting there a couple years ago with J-Man and we were doing the mock draft. We were going through everything and he said, yeah, I, I like Jordan Love to the Packers in the first round. And I was like, what? They have Aaron Rodgers. Are you fucking crazy? And he was like, yeah, but it just makes too much sense. This is their MO. This is how they operate. 
And I was like, all right, okay. And then sure as shit, on draft day, Jordan Love to the Packers. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Because now it looks like they're going to Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. For those who don't remember, exact same situation with Brett Favre. Brett Favre was kind of tailing off. He was getting older. And then they decide that they're going to draft Aaron Rodgers. And then what does Brett Favre go out and do when he, right when he was about to allegedly turn over the reins, he goes out and has one of the best seasons of his career. And now they're like, well, what the fuck? You know, we've had this kid riding the bench for several years, and he's kind of ready to go. Uh, maybe you should retire, Brett. And then he retires, then he unretires, and we know the drama and what happens. So they tried to Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. Gave me cookie, got you cookie. Got me cookie, give you cookie. Didn't fly. Aaron Rodgers said, no, you can't Aaron Rodgers me. I'm Aaron fucking Rodgers, bro. So, but now, obviously Jordan Love's got to go, right? Because you draft this kid in the first round, and we still don't have any clue. I mean, we, we saw for a game last year, and obviously it wasn't very impressive. But he's had one game. Guy was a first round draft pick. He's had he's had one game, you know. Um, he might have played a little bit sparingly in some other situations, but you have no idea what you have, and you know that if it's true, if it is true that Aaron Rodgers is signing an extension and that he's going to be around for years to come, he don't want to look at Jordan Love. He doesn't, and Jordan Love doesn't want to look at him. Jordan Love went from. Being a first-round draft pick thinking, wow, this is great. I'm going to learn from the GOAT. I'm going to learn from this guy and try to soak up everything I can. And then in a few years, you know, he'll retire off into the sunset or he'll, he'll sign a deal somewhere else and it'll be my team and I'll lead the Packers. Man, that'll be fucking amazing. It's the same thing that Jimmy Garoppolo thought when he went to play behind Tom Brady. That didn't work out. And it's not going to work out in Green Bay for Jordan Love. So now Jordan Love will be on the move if this deal is an extension. And then you have to go back and revisit, right? Because if you're going to give credit to Gunta Goons and say, all right, they did it, they did everything, they signed Aaron Rodgers, etc., etc., does that mean they fucked up by drafting Jordan Love? Like, did they create this mess in the first place? By drafting him, you used a first-round pick on a quarterback. You have arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game sitting there. Or do Packers fans look at it as a success and be like, no, it lit a fire under Aaron's ass, and you know what? It gave him all the pissed-off motivation to go out there and continue to be a badass, and you know, it it worked. It was fine. So I'd, I'd love to hear from Packers fans your take on this. Um on that specifically on the Jordan Love situation. So hit us up on Twitter at Regulators Pod. It's it's gonna be fascinating. And then obviously to see how the rest of it plays out. And we still, as great as Aaron Rodgers is, you know, they kinda have the Cowboy syndrome themselves. What has it gotten you lately? You haven't won a Super Bowl in over a decade, and you can't even seem to get back into the championship round that often, and it's just kinda I don't, I don't know. I think I think they need a few more pieces, which is why they obviously had to franchise Adams. They have to keep him. They can't let go of him. And um, 
I don't know. I, I really want to see how the numbers shake out because they could be play, paying three of their players like 40, 50% of the cap, which would be really crazy and I think very damning for their team. But let's move on to, you know, we talked about Russell Wilson ejecto cito cuz out of the NFC. And now he goes to the Denver Broncos. So this was a crazy blockbuster trade. This was actually a blockbuster trade, unlike the things that are alleged, and then they just come out to be nothing, a fourth-round pick for some linebacker that nobody wants. But in this trade, the Denver Broncos get Russell Wilson and a fourth-round pick. The Seattle Seahawks receive two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a fifth-round pick, tight end Noah Fant, quarterback Drew Locke, and defensive lineman Shelby Harris. This is a haul for the Seahawks. Now, is it worth giving Russell Wilson up for? Depends on the long term. My immediate answer would be no, right? You don't give up franchise quarterbacks. You just don't do it. Doesn't matter what the deal is. You just don't do it. However, we saw what's been happening lately in Seattle. The Seahawks didn't even have a winning record last year with Russell Wilson, as great as he is. Um... Some things need to change there, for sure. And Seattle's going to need some capital to go out and make some changes, and they're going to have to get some money off of the books. So, depending on what their plan is, because we know that Pete Carroll's 70 fucking years old. Like, is he going to stick around four more years for a rebuild? And I get it. Pete Carroll 70 is not normal person 70. But having said that, I can't imagine that this is full in on a rebuild for the Seahawks. I think they might not be done. And this alludes to the disgusting conversation we had a few minutes ago about, say, a Deshaun Watson. Um, Or they could have other things. I mean, honestly, like for me, I think they asked for the wrong fucking quarterback and Drew Locke. Shit, you should have got Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater is like the third or fourth most accurate passer in NFL history. And I, I don't know why you wouldn't get him over Drew Locke. Maybe they asked, and maybe Denver said no. Um, but you're getting Russell Wilson, so I'm pretty sure somewhere in that compensation you could have worked your way for Teddy Bridgewater. Not saying that he's equal to Russell Wilson, but it, it would have been a better return than, than Drew Locke. I mean, I can't imagine waking up as DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and going, did I just go from Russell Wilson to Drew Locke? That's uh, that's not a good not a good situation. Um, and the flip side of that is the Denver Broncos, who Jerry Judy literally pulled Avante Mack on Tuesday because he tweeted out as soon as the Rodgers news broke that Denver obviously wasn't getting. Aaron Rodgers, he tweeted out a little emoji like, uh, you know, pretty much throwing his own quarterback under the bus, but, you know, what are you going to do? And he was upset about it just to an hour later find out that he's getting Russell Wilson and then be like, hell yeah, you know. So it was interesting to see that dynamic shift really quick. So you look at Jerry Judy, you look at Tim Patrick, you look at um, the weapons that they have there in Denver. And now, depending on what happens with Melvin Gordon, does Javante Williams immediately become like one of your top running backs off the board in fantasy? Because if MG3 is gone, 
and it's just Devontae Williams, you would already be feeling pretty good. But now you swap out Luck and you get Lock. I'm sorry, Lock, and you get Wilson in there. Shit, look at what Rashad Penny did last year. Highest yards per carry in the entire NFL. So, depending on whether they retain Gordon or not, you could see a huge, huge uh, value trend up for Javante Williams. And, you know, don't forget, the Broncos have the number three defense in the NFL. Like, I think, I was having a conversation with someone earlier, I said, well... You know, the way this adds to the AFC dynamic because it immediately makes the Broncos a, cont- a contender. And they're like, no, the Broncos aren't going to get past Kansas City or the Chargers or whatever. And I'm like, you guys would have all said the same thing about the Cincinnati Bengals last year. And the Cincinnati Bengals did not have the defense that the Denver Broncos do. So you add Russell Wilson to a team that really was just looking for a quarterback. You know, Teddy played well before he got hurt. And, you know, the Broncos actually, people forget, like, I think the Broncos started 3-0 or 5-0, like, they, they won a bunch of games out the gate, and then towards the end, they had kind of Cardinal syndrome, and it just, it didn't go well, um, but the defense was still playing good. Defense played well at times, and I think you had Russell Wilson, that which obviously we know offense helps out the defense, if you can not have a three and out every other drive, Um that's going to help out your defense as well. So I think I think the Broncos are immediately a contender um, this year, and that's going to shake up the AFC as well. And then my last note on the whole trade with Russell Wilson and everything, right after the trade, one of the funniest social media tweets I've ever seen from an NFL account was tweeted out, and that was from the official Seattle Seahawks account. And it was the video clip from... Um, God, I'm having a brain fart. The movie with Tom Hanks where he's lost at Castaway. Castaway. So he's he's lost at sea, you know, and he's on this little raft and he had this little volleyball named Wilson and, you know, it's floating away in the water and Tom Hanks is yelling, Wilson! Wilson! I'm sorry, Wilson! And it was the best video ever. And they put this little clip up and I was dying laughing, and it was great. And then an hour or so goes by, everyone's commenting on it, and it gets deleted. It gets taken down. And to me, I'm like, why? Listen, whoever the social media manager in there was, they had one job, and they nailed the assignment. They knew what the fucking assignment was. Like, why? Because you didn't get a chance yet to release your official statement that says, we are very thankful for the years that Russell gave to us and the Super Bowl, and we wish him luck on his endeavors and blah, 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 blah. Like, who gives a fuck? That tweet was so well-timed and so well done, and what happened was some boomer with no sense of humor who doesn't understand how social media works came in and said, delete that. What are you thinking about? You're lucky I don't fire your ass right now. If they didn't fire the person on the spot, because that's how some of those situations work. But it was amazing. And by deleting it, you lost tens of millions of engagements, guaranteed. And when you have a social media page, when you have a brand, you're trying to bring the conversation to you. You're trying to bring people in. It is one of the few instances where it's okay 
to do something that's semi for the clicks because you're not a journalist, you're not a broadcaster, you're not trying to keep up with the integrity of some sort of narrative. You are a brand. You are a multi-billion dollar brand and you are creating engaging content that will bring people to your page. And then maybe while they're there, they'll see you're nice to Russell Wilson. We love you. And they'll retweet. Like, why do you create content at all? Why do you have social media teams? Why do you have head creators and people who create these little things or do these video trends that are popular on TikTok, but you do it with your players or your staff? You do it for that reason. You're trying to create that engagement and get them to your page to then offer them whatever it is you're putting out, whether it's season tickets, whether it's merchandise, whatever it is you're doing. So you fucked up, Seattle Seahawks. You should have let the tweet ride. It was an amazing fucking tweet. Nobody is but hurt about that tweet. The same way none of them are but hurt about Calvin Ridley betting $1,500 on a couple of multi-leg parlays. Like, they're just not. So that's my that's my only real concern with... Roger Goodell, he's he's not perfect by any means, and I definitely have my qualms with him. But my biggest thing is you are of a different generation that is—how can I phrase this? You are part of a generation that has a large amount of its population losing touch with the— current generation that is the biggest consumers and i'm even old enough to where i will start to phase out of that said population and sometimes i don't know what these kids are fucking talking about i I really don't but having said that when you are in that situation and you're making decisions every day about the business about the brand and you are out of touch with what the product is and how everything works and especially social media like you you shouldn't be making those decisions you should have people who work for you who are better equipped to make those decisions so that's my rant on that but kudos to whoever made that fucking post you are a legend and i hope someday that i figure out who you are so i can give you your proper credit and definitely a follow on your personal twitter Um, Because that shit was amazing. So DM me if it was you. Um, In other news, Mike Williams of the Chargers got a three-year deal on Tuesday for $60 million, which puts him in that upper echelon of wide receivers. That puts only three wide receivers ahead of him, so he'll be the fourth highest paid uh, wide receiver as far as average annual value goes. And then... Someone we weren't sure whether they were going to get the tag or not, but it looked like probably not, was J.C. Jackson of the New England Patriots. So one of the best DBs out there is now going to hit the open market. Obviously, we have technically between now and this coming Tuesday. So the 16th is the start of the new league year where everyone's officially a free agent. On the 14th, there's legal tampering period, so for two days Prior to that, teams can kind of start to negotiate. We know that it really already kind of is underway. But having said that, there is still a chance between now and, say, at least the 14th where 
say the Patriots come in and say, all right, listen, here's the deal. Do you want to sign it? This is this is what we're offering. And then you can make a decision. It sounds like he's gone. It sounds like he's out. They weren't showing him the love. He felt like they didn't want him. And that's that's kind of the Patriots MO. Like if you think that you are too big for the brand, for the team, then you probably are and you should leave. And that's just kind of how it goes. Um, so JC Jackson will be a very hot commodity on the open market and there's a lot of teams being floated around but that's just kind of how it is i mean everyone's just taking wild guesses at what they think is going to happen or where somebody could fit but everyone's just throwing darts in the fucking dark no nobody has any idea how it's really gonna end up but jc jackson will be out there for folks who are looking in other news the cowboys restructured Dak Prescott and Zach Martin to save $22 million this season, which will help them accommodate Dalton Schultz on the franchise tag, who will make $10.9 million this year with the tag. So let's go over some of the people who got franchise tagged. You've got Devontae Adams, obviously. That's where they want to work out the long-term deal. They couldn't get it done in time, so they slapped him with the tag. He will get $20.1 million this year. And then you have Chris Godwin is the other wide receiver who got tagged by the Buccaneers, and he will make $19.1 million this year. Now, if you're asking, well, wait, they're both wide receivers. Isn't the average of the five top paid players, isn't that kind of how it's uh, calculated? It's calculated a number of different ways. But one of the ways, yes, is the average of the top five players at your position. The other is or... 120% of what you made last year, it's whichever is greater. And because Devontae Adams had a high salary last year, it works in his favor, and that's why he will get $20.1 million instead of $19.1 million. Now, tight ends, as I mentioned, Dalton Schultz will get the tag from Dallas. We knew with Blake Jarwin having the injury, they really wanted to have Dalton Schultz back. They didn't want to give him up, so they bring him back for $10.9 million. Also, the Miami Dolphins used their franchise tag on Mike Gesicki, which he was one of only two real candidates there in Miami that might get the tag, and they do give it to Mike Gesicki. So he also will be getting $10.9 million this year from the Miami Dolphins. And then you have David Njoku from the Browns, which was the first tight end to get tagged, also will be making $10.9 million this year for the Browns. I think that was more of a surprise than anything else. I think if you look at those three tight ends, Dalton Schultz, Mike Gesicki, and David Njoku, I think Njoku would easily be the third person on that list that you would give the same amount of money to. But in either event, the Browns want to keep him around at least for one more year. Um, and again, any of these deals at any point right now, they can sign their extensions, they can come to an agreement and you know, they don't have to worry about playing on the franchise tag. So then you move into offensive line. The Chiefs tackle Orlando Brown got tagged, so he'll get $16.6 million this year. The Jacksonville Jaguars tackle Cam Robinson got tagged, and that's actually his second tag in a row. So he'll also get $16.6 million this year. And then the Bengals tagged their safety uh, Jesse Bates, so he'll get $12.9 million this season to play for the Bengals. In some other news, the Detroit Lions extended wide receiver Josh Reynolds for two years. It's a $12 million max deal. 
What they need to extend is their nuts, honestly, and go make a splash because just like when you go to a water park, people pay to get wet. So make a splash, Detroit, pull a reverse Stafford Uno card out your ass and use all that draft capital to do something, man. Just just do something special. And I think Detroit wishes they could have done something like the Russell Wilson deal and I think that's that's one of the biggest problems when you're a bottom of the league franchise. And this isn't, you know, Detroit fans if you're listening, I know we got listeners in 50 states, but I I love Detroit. I'm I'm happy for Dan Campbell. Like I I really hope it works for him. Uh I was always a fan of Stafford and Megatron when they were there and stuff, but you're bottom of the league right now. Like Bengals were bottom of the league a couple years ago. Look where they are now. So, you can climb out of it. But the problem when you are in that situation is that free agents don't want to go to you and players who have no trade clauses don't want to go to you so it's very hard to say to a player hey we're gonna come get you and you can play in Detroit so that's that's another difficulty that they have is trying to get top talent there even though they do have some capital so they're gonna have to get very savvy with that capital and try to crawl themselves out of the NFL basement. And I hope they do. I really hope they do. Because um, the NFC could definitely use a lot more teams that are actually viable candidates in that conference. But I digress. So, uh, Jack Doyle played nine seasons for the Indianapolis Colts. He announced his retirement. So, I mean, tight end market is just like shrinking by the moment, people are retiring, people are getting franchise tags, and uh, there is not going to be a lot to be had on the free agent market if you are looking for a tight end. A couple names are out there still, but we'll see what happens by this coming Tuesday. And the New England Patriots have released Kyle Van Noy. That makes the third year in a row that Kyle Van Noy was released from the team that he was on the previous season. It was originally the Patriots, and then he came to the Dolphins, and then the Dolphins released him and he got all pissed off about it and went on a media tour and then he went back to the Patriots and now the Patriots released him and I haven't seen the media tour yet um and I'm not saying that he shouldn't have been pissed off when Miami let go of him because he was a veteran leader and he felt like he was fitting well in the system and they made a business decision and they wanted to give AVG more snaps and it's a whole thing but you know whatever so but it's just interesting how you know, the business works, and, you know, last three years, you know, he's been cut at the end of the season, so we'll see where he ends up this time, uh, but Kyle Van Noy is available, as is um, Landry, the linebacker for the Tennessee Titans, has also been let go, and here's a list of just some of the free agents that I'm keeping my eye on right now, so you got Brandon Scherf, who was uh, tagged in back-to-back years previously, but now he's 30 years old. He's been a consistent, high-playing guard in the NFL. I think his market is around $15 million a year. So there's a few teams. I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Miami Dolphins. There's, I mean, even the Jaguars have money to spend, and you know their line is it could use some help. So there are some teams out there that could use offensive line help and so that's why I think his market is up there around 15 million now the Ravens have their center Bradley Bozeman 
available as a free agent this season, and he's played both center and guard, and he's performed exceptional. Um, he could be kind of in the eight to ten million a year range, and then you've got James Daniels, who's guard or center. He can play both. Um, played in Chicago. He's probably around twelve million dollars a year. He's only twenty-five years old. A lot of upside with this kid, so I think the market for him is going to be strong. And the one that I really like is Lakin Tomlinson. So he's the guard for San Francisco. He hasn't missed a game in four years and has been part of the San Francisco line that has had a lot of success under Kyle Shanahan. And one has to wonder if Coach McDaniel in Miami might be jumping at the chance to bring him with him down to South Beach. And we know, like I said, Miami could use the help on their line. He's probably... Somewhere in that $10, $11 million a year range, I think that'd be a great spend for somebody who wants to pony up the cash. And then as we switch to the defensive side of the ball, you've got Carlton Davis, cornerback from Tampa Bay, who's led the NFL in pass breakups the past three seasons. He's only 25 years old, but he has missed 14 games in his career so far. So might be a little bit of a discount there, um, but he's still going to have a good market in free agency and I think well over $10 million per year. And then you get to Emmanuel Ogba, the defensive end from the Miami Dolphins. He's had nine sacks in each of his last two seasons since he came to Miami. He's been number one in batted balls during that time, and he's among the league's highest pressure rate as far as defensive players. And with an agent like Drew Rosenhaus, I really think that he's about to get Brink's truck money. So I would get ready for that. There's an outside shot that he comes back to Miami, but I would honestly be very, very surprised if he comes back to Miami. And then you've got uh, Foyosade Alokan. And I'm probably butchering his name, and I apologize for that. But the linebacker from Atlanta, he's led the he led the league in tackles last year. He's got great awareness, and I think he's going to go over $10 million as well. Should be a name for people to watch out there if they're looking for a linebacker. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Russell Gage are a couple of wide receivers to keep your eye on. They will be testing the market. And then, of course, the running backs, you have so many names. I mean, we mentioned Melvin Gordon. You've got Leonard Fournette, James Conner, Cordero Patterson, Chase Edmonds, Dearness Johnson, Latavius Murray, Alex Collins, Justin Jackson, Duke Johnson, um, Rashad Penny, as I mentioned. So there's a lot of running backs to keep your eye on as well. And, you know, I still can't get over this Russell Wilson trade, man. I keep going back to it. Like, the AFC is just, it's crazy, right? Like, the NFC has somehow become the Wish.com version of the AFC. And you look at the AFC, you've got... Mahomes, you've got Burrow, you've got Herbert, you've got Carr in one division. In one division. And then you've got Josh Allen, you've got Lamar, like you've got so many talented quarterbacks in the AFC. And this is why I always go back to that conversation. I know people get pissed off every couple of years when like a seven and nine team wins their division and they get into the playoffs, but some ten and 16, which we won't have anymore now. It'll be 10 and 7, but a 10 and 16 doesn't make the playoffs, right? And here's my argument to that is more often than not, when that situation happens, there is a team in, say, what was the NFC West, 
which was one of the most competitive divisions in football, or, you know, what now will be the AFC West, which will be one of the most competitive divisions in football, where these teams are beating the shit out of each other all year. So it's not it's not a bad thing. Like if you lose to the Chiefs and the Chargers one game and then you beat them one game, like if you have a 50-50 record against them, like you're not a shit team. Like there's nothing wrong with that. So if they're taking wins and losses from each other versus you jump over to say what the NFC East was last year or even parts of this year, I mean, look how easy it is to beat up on the Commanders, the Giants, and for a while, the Philadelphia Eagles. I think the Eagles are climbing back in, and I think the Eagles are going to be very competitive. But nobody complained for 20 years as Tom Brady and the Patriots just whooped the dog piss out of the AFC East, and they were all bargain basement teams. They were all Basuda, all of those teams, like... It just, it wasn't even fair. So nobody complained and said, well, you know, the Patriots should really be like the sixth seed because they were in a shit division. So then you have to flip it the other way. Like if you're in a good division and you're all knocking the shit out of each other all year, so your best team is like maybe 10 or 11 games, but then the second or the third best team might have eight, nine or you know, something like that as their record, like that doesn't mean that they're worse than a team that's 10 and 7 but played in a shitty division. So every year it just always comes up how people get mad about the... Uh, there are two things that n- it will blow my mind till the day I die that people complain about, and it's the Electoral College and it's the seeding of the NFL playoffs and how division shouldn't matter and and things like that and it's just stupid and fucking ridiculous and if you want to have a a meaningful conversation about it using stats and logical arguments feel free to hit us up on twitter at regulators pod anytime and i would love to have that conversation but by the way you know with all of this going on with the franchise tags and the contracts and stuff like that you know i i noticed that there is something missing on twitter right now especially on nfl twitter and that is Where is the outrage? Where is the outrage of Kyle Vannoy getting cut or these other players? Or let's let's say Amari Cooper gets cut, right? That's that's the word on the streets, right? Because they're not going to pay him twenty million dollars. They're just they're not. So if and when they cut him, I want to see that same energy of outrage to Jerry Jones of honor the contract you signed, man. Honor the contract you signed. You signed the contract, pay for it. You, you, you got to pay for it. Where is that energy? Because as soon as a player wants more money and he's got a year left on his deal, it's like, whoa, 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 buddy. You signed the contract. You honor the deal. You can't take us to t- Like it's your money. Like, like you, you defend this like it's somehow they're reaching into your wallet and taking some extra money. And you're, what you don't realize you're doing, because I always hear the conversation, oh, yes, let's cry for the poor millionaire who doesn't have the same, doesn't have enough money. What you're really saying is, let's cry for the poor billionaire who doesn't want to spend any of his money. Do you not put that together? Do you not two plus two equals fish? Like, how the fuck 
Do you sit there and think it's greedy of the player to ask for more money because he's a millionaire, but it's not greedy for the billionaire to say, nah, I got you at a steal and I don't feel like paying you your worth that you could probably get somewhere else. Because what you're doing when you say that is you're telling on yourself. Because what you want to say is, well, that billionaire, you know, that's his business. He, he built that, you know, he, 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 he worked his whole life and, you know, that's why he has the billions and so that's his money. So why? We should just give it out to people? Give it out to... No, you're, you're paying for performance. That's literally how the NFL works. It's supposed to be a meritocracy. So if somebody signed a contract and then years later the market adjusts, I'll give you a perfect example. Let's say your rent a year and a half ago was $1,400 a month and you were getting by on your salary and everything was fine and you were doing okay. A couple years go by, you haven't gotten a raise. Now your rent is jacked up to $2,300 a month. Do you think that you're entitled to go to your boss and say, hey, the market kind of adjusted and I feel like I'm taking on extra responsibilities now and I'm doing extra stuff, I would like to be compensated properly. Or are you going to take the side of the owner of your company and say, well, you accepted this salary rate when we hired you, so that's it. That's all you get. And obviously I'm using hyperbole. Like I'm, I'm using an, an insane exaggeration as the situations aren't exactly the same, but you understand where I'm going from that, right? So like, if you're going to be that person who says, honor the contract you signed, no, it's different. Players, you know what? You signed a contract, you signed on that dotted line, that's your word, man. Doesn't your word mean anything anymore? You honor that contract. Good. Keep that same fucking energy when Jerry Jones cuts Amari Cooper to get out of paying him $20 million. I want that same fucking energy and if you don't have that energy, I want you to look in the mirror and say, I am a piece of shit hypocrite. Because that's what you are. But last things before we leave and get out of here for the day is I don't want to go too much into the combine. I've told you guys before, I think it's very, very ridiculous. And it's it definitely adds people's draft stock and People start going, ooh, that guy ran fast in his underwear. And like, I, I get it, but I, I try not to put too much stock into it. Having said that, Jordan Davis is 341 pounds and ran a 4840. Like, if you watch, the, go, go look up the video. Go search Jordan Davis Combine and watch this giant of a man at 341 pounds run a 4840 it's the most absurd thing i've ever seen in my life most sub 4440s that we have ever had in combine history and this is just yet another reason why i'm like put the pads on i want to see you run in pads go do that shit because if you look at next gen stats if you go look it up ask me who wasn't in the top 10 fastest ball carriers last year tyreek hill and you know what? No disrespect to Tyreek Hill, and he's an amazing wide receiver, and it's not all about that. But when the pads are on and the ball's in your hand, can you still hit that peak speed? And again, like, 
Tyreek Hill is like 11 or 12 on that list. Like, he's still fast as fuck. But my point is, put on the pads and do it. And it's it's just, it's different, man. It's different. So that's all I have for you guys this week. By the time we speak next week, it will officially be NFL season, and I will be up very late next Tuesday trying to get in all the information about who's signing what, what kind of deals, because it's just going to be fucking bedlam. I knew that this year was going to be crazy and i told everybody and they're like no we expected it last year and it was kind of a snoozer no already out the gate like we're we're fucking flying so it's going to be crazy remember to join in on the conversation on twitter at regulators pod and just know that i appreciate you guys listen i'm i'm never gonna ask for anything other than to just listen subscribe share this with a couple of friends because that helps us grow that helps us do more giveaways and give back to you guys and just keep creating content, which I absolutely love. This is one of the favorite things that I do each week is getting to sit down and talk with you guys and, of course, our conversations on Twitter. So I love you guys. I'll see you in the Twitter streets. Peace. Yeah.